Hello. Before we start, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which I am recording, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge those with lived experience in suicidal thoughts and behaviours or just general mental health. I acknowledge the hardship, the challenges, but also the successes. I would also like to acknowledge specifically, as this is today's topic, those within the LGBTQIA community and their experiences as well. I had the greatest pleasure of chatting with Chris Sweeney. If you haven't heard, watched or read any of Chris's work, which I'm sure you probably have, I can't employ you enough to go ahead and do so. This man's creative talent, vision and vulnerability are absolutely palpable. Chris and I had a chat about his personal experience and journey with mental health, noting some of his biggest learnings and aha moments. We also talk about the wider LGBTQIA community's experience with mental health and the sorts of challenges they face as they not only navigate themselves and who they are, but also the way in which the world around them visits that. If you like this episode and want to listen to more, hit the subscribe button and give us a rating. You can even leave a comment if you feel so. You can also follow The Informed over on Instagram at The Informed, spelt T-H-E-I-N-F-O-R-M-D. Thank you so much for joining for joining me. My it's, pleasure. Um, such a huge coup to have you on. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Homo Sapiens. Um, for all of those who don't know or listen, it's it's a brilliant podcast, sort of shining light on, I guess, all facets of life within the LGBTQ plus community and and different topics and different subjects. And it's it's truly wonderful. And it's it's I love it when I'm driving. That's like my favorite time. Is like. I feel like I'm engaging in the conversation and, and things like that. So, Oh, that's so lovely. You've been in Australia recently in the last couple of years uh, with the latest, I think it's on Stan, the Stan series, The Tourist, which is fantastic if you haven't. Please watch, please share with your friends. Yes, yes, get it out there. <laughs> it is It is brilliant. Someone asked me, what's the synopsis of it? And I was like, I won't give you a synopsis because I feel like it might give it away, but it's kind of like an Australian Western drama mixed with a murder mystery and the antithesis is uh, amnesia or yes. amnesia. Yeah. Yes. And I'll, and they were like, Ooh, yeah, that's my next watch. So get on <laughs> oh, it good. if you haven't already. <laughs> oh, good. That's good to hear. So as my listeners would know, we talk about different sort of experiences with, mental health and not just mental ill health, but mental health and well-being and, and the whole sort of journey of it all. Um, and we, each episode, we sort of highlight or focus on either a diversity that is experiencing it, a particular type of experience, a diagnosis or, or whatever. They're sort of all very individual. And so I'm so excited today to actually be covering, well, not even covering, I, I, I wouldn't, put that burden on you to say, please cover it all. Um, but to be delving deeper or, or having a look inside the LGBTQ plus experience with mental health and well-being, and, uh, definitely not saying, you know, like you're the be all and end all or the know all or know nothing. I'm just my own specific hot mess. I can you exactly know, share everything. Around yeah. That. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Which is, which is what we all are to a degree, some form of a hot mess. <laughs> Honestly, leave it with me. <laughs> You'll have no problems. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I guess one of the first questions, and it's probably like a really broad and generalized question, but what is the, well, actually it's kind of, well, yeah, it's a bit of like a, a hard one in a sense. What is the biggest challenge about the LGBTQ plus experience and mental health? Mm. One of them is shame and how that is baked in to your identity from a very young age. And sort of your lifetime's work is unpicking and unpacking that and working out what that does and doesn't do for you or what parts of your life has it begun to control 
without you realizing and all of that stuff. Like I, that for me is number one. And once you identify shame, uh, then you are, you know, you've got a lot of work ahead of you, but I think it's the path to enlightenment. And I think everyone on the LGBTQIA plus spectrum can relate to that. Actually, everyone has their own version, but they are, threads around sexuality gender gender identity and all the in all the areas within that you know that we all have our own version of shame and i think it's like you know yeah do you think that shame is like further emphasized or highlighted by the prejudice and discrimination that is often met when accessing healthcare or speaking about sort of healthcare or even just speaking about your an individual's own experience with their identification? Um, I think it's way earlier than that. Like, so two things spring to mind is David Sedaris, when he came on the podcast, he's an essayist for anyone who doesn't know, a very funny gay man. Hilarious. Hilarious. Um, he said something about the more you hide yourself, the more deformed you become. And... I think that's, you know, it's just a very heavy statement, but it's always stayed with me. And I think, you know, prior to we're talking about accessing healthcare and stuff, I think what it is, is like shame and the shame that I think causes mental health problems starts so early when you realize that you're like a little bit different to everybody else. Not everybody else, thank God. You're actually not that different to a lot of people, but, you know, different to the majority and different to the way that people want little boys and little girls to grow up. If you're, if that, if that, all those unspoken rules aren't working for you, you start to feel bad about yourself and you start to hide parts of yourself. And that's where the Sadaris comment about deformed comes in that you start to work out that you are, you blame yourself. So you tell yourself you're broken and therefore you do things that make you uh, try and not feel broken, um, which is why a lot of us end up, you know, discovering alcohol and drugs and being like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And then getting in trouble that way. Um, You know, and I know I'm generalizing as I say this, but the, you know, the other thing a therapist said to me once was like, shame is actually the feeling of shame is actually quite a good thing. Like, you know, like it can really help people understand what, what it is and isn't appropriate um, in social situations and with social animals. So it's all quite good. But what happens is you shame is good in that sense, but it is actually for LGBTQ plus kids. It's, it's baked into feelings about very, very normal things about you, whole pillars of your existence, i.e. not identifying with other boys, not identifying as a boy, you know, all, all of those things are, they shouldn't, you shouldn't be feeling shame about that. So that is very, it's, it's bad for your mental health, basically. And if you had to summarize shame, it's really hard to describe. We often talk about some of the podcasts, like what is shame, but it's like feeling that something is wrong about you or something you've done and so if you've just you know chucked a yogurt over someone by mistake and you feel shame that's fine because that's normal but if you feel it because you didn't you don't feel like you're in the right body for some lgbtq plus people i mean that's a really heady mix yeah yeah really sort of toxic form of shame and well it yeah it creates toxicity you know yeah and i know from my own experience like i didn't i grew up with my sister and four other girls in this family up the road and i just always identified with girls more i loved them i liked hanging out with them i didn't really get boys i found them a bit like aggressive and (laughs) fighty and you know, I, that was kind of my summation, you know, and I actually, yeah. and I wore, I wore dresses all the time and I always dressed up as a princess and like, it was great. And then the first time I felt shame was I remember going to this birthday party when I was probably four or five and I was in a dress and I, my dad took me there. My parents didn't care at all. They're wonderful about 
what, who I was or what I was. And they dropped me off. And then I walked into this party and I was wearing this dress. And I just remember everyone being like, why is that boy in a dress? And I was like, oh God, my dad's left and I don't know what to do. And I just felt, I'd actually been very incubated and in not thinking there was anything wrong with it. Not that there is, obviously, but you know, but suddenly people were saying that it was making me feel like it was wrong. And that, you know, that meant that I started on a journey of trying to hide my femininity. And I was a very effeminate kid. And I went to an all boys school that was quite intense. And people bullied me for, you know, people bullied me for being effeminate. But, you know, that also meant that I behaved badly. And I wasn't very nice to people, because I was trying to succeed in a social sense, because I couldn't succeed in a macho sense or like beat the other kids at football or whatever they did but like I tried to become like in a survival sense because I I felt like I was behind enemy lines the whole time I tried to become sort of socially as important as as possible and that meant that I wasn't very nice to people and I really regret that but uh you know that was because of I felt shit about myself basically it's interesting, isn't it? That like a lot of what you were just saying around the bullying factor, I was quite heavily bullied at school, small, ru- like rural country town in mm, Australia where, well, I, I, if I could go back, I'd probably do it the same, but I wouldn't want to wish it on anyone else. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's what has made you who you are today. And so it's definitely been a shaper and also helps me, I find it's really great to be able to connect with people like yourself from a similar sort of bullying situation or things like that. And so when you were, when you were saying that I was very much hearing a lot of my own story coming back around purely, it was because I was creative in a small town and that was outside of the thing. And it's, I think one of the things that is super important to establish and to me, it goes without saying, but at the same time, you just don't know what goes through some people's minds is that mental health or mental ill health and identification within the LGBTQIA plus community are not synonymous. And I think that's one thing that you've, you highlighted particularly with the Sedaris comment around if you'll hide yourself, that's where yeah the sort of the, the shame comes from. And, and you're just doing it to help yourself survive it's survival weirdly yeah. it's survival techniques that's the thing you know because big sweeping generalizations but if society makes you feel shit about yourself and then someone shows you drugs and alcohol that make you not feel shit about yourself for a minute 100%. you'll dive in that no brainer men- yeah no brainer that's why i was drunk from the age of 13 but you know it's like <laughs> yeah. that i was i discovered alcohol at 13 and i was like i I discovered this break from myself where I was, it was all unsaid. I couldn't have articulated at the time, but, you know, through therapy, I've managed to work out that's what was going on. And it's like, you know, that, you know, I'm, I, I'm aware we're talking about LGBT people specifically, but like, I don't want to say I'm trying, I, I want to make sure that I'm framing it. It's like, it's not like we're the only people with shit, you know, everybody no, has yeah, their version yeah. and yeah. Disclaimer, but, people. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's what happens. And, you know, um, it's all about trying to make it all... You're actually... It's broken functions to try and make yourself feel okay, you know? And um, if someone had actually told me to go for a run, <laughs> you know, for, which I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do any sport because that was, like, heavy you know, for non-masculine kids in an all-boys school, like, just avoid all that shit, right? You know, or any kind of school, you know, if you're not matching up with the other boys. Um, yeah, I was going to say I was co-ed and that was definitely yeah. something that, yeah, I avoided. Yeah, it's, I mean, kids are brutal to each other. And this whole masculinity and femininity thing is really intense, you know, and... I don't know what it's like now, but it was it was horrible when I was at school. And um, it perpetuates now. Uh, and I think that you, 
yeah, I think that's it's interesting when you know because even then you have to qualify like mental health or uh, mental unwell health. Like people kind of go, oh, it's mental health. Like I've heard people say, oh, he's got mental health. You know, when he's depressed, and it's like, no, they, that's not having mental health. That's, <laughs> but they are linked unsuccessfully linked, and actually. Our LGBT people's mental health was fine until people started telling us we were broken, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the thing. I was sort of just reflecting then on some of the stuff that you were saying before about, you know, walking into that party when you were four and realising that you were realising that you were wearing something that they perceived you shouldn't be wearing in in a dress and it's kind of like those uh, you see it all the time i can't remember what the i was watching something yesterday and it was on it um oh pam tommy and pam or pam and tommy the new tv series and um the guy wets himself because he's so scared and it's kind of like that moment when you know you're wet you're, you're wet yourself in front of a crowd and it's that deep horror and shame and to think that someone experiences that or to, to know that people do experience that just for being who they are and not because they've had a bodily knee-jerk reaction to a situation or or they've spilled a yogurt on someone or anything like that is just horrible. It It's... I think it's heartbreaking because... It, happen- it doesn't just happen within the community. Like we know that it happens within healthcare and, and that's a huge part for people, particularly within the trans backgrounds um, and intersex is that, that sort of prejudice and, and sort of... Well, lack of education as well. Yeah, yeah. And particularly with intersex, the intersex community, you know, I don't know enough about this, so maybe I should stop here, but I won't. You know, it's, I don't <laughs> want to speak for intersex people because I'm not, but like, you know, there is corrections. You know, they try and correct how people are born as intersex still today, I think. And, you know, that's Dark Ages stuff. Intersex people are valid and real as they are born. You know, we don't need to start, you know, trying to make fashion them into a version of a man or a version of a woman and it's way way more complex than that but um it's yeah in healthcare trans people and interest people and more are you know really getting the harder end of the deal because we've got you know um you know how long has will and grace been on you know like that like gay men men is, after is, my own heart <laughs> the i mean but you know like the, the gay men as which is what i identify as you know like we have had representation for a long time and so i don't get the same actually you know still people look weird when i go to the doctors but it's like you know it's pretty simple stuff there's not a real lack of medical understanding um and I think that's why you get a short temper with, uh, at this age, you know, nearly 40, um, when I'll you... I'll edit that out. <laughs> Thank you for that sake. <laughs> um, where you, if you see that stuff again, you know, when I see history repeating itself, policing of gender of younger kids, anything like that, if I see it now, I'm like, well, if it happened to me 40 years ago and now it's happening now, it'll be happening in 40 years. And it just makes me really cross because I know what it does to people's mental health. It makes you, you know, profoundly unhappy when you are wonderful just as you are. Mm. Going going back to what you were talking about before and how sort of your younger years of I'm not sure whether you would say, you know, your identification around those ages, but definitely your noticing of the differences between boys and girls and where you sit on that very binary structure um, and the way in which where you sat sort of interacted or or posed a threat or a question to those around you, particularly a, a, a single sex school. What, if things were to change back then, 
to what you experienced, would that have bettered your mental health? Would you have found alcohol a bit later in life? Would Do you think that there would be anything that would have altered 100%. that? 100%. Yeah, 100%. I was a very lost, confused kid who didn't fucking know what to do because they didn't even have what I know now is I hope because of thank God for like the internet and Instagram type thing. I think if you are strange, strange, I don't mean strange. If you are different, <laughs> you know, and strange is wonderful by the way, but you know, like if you're yeah. perceived as strange, it's what I mean, you know, like yeah. you can actually go onto Instagram and find other people like you. I mean, if you're allowed on Instagram at 13, but you know, like it's, and you, I couldn't do that. And if I did want to, I could go on the internet, but the dial up made a noise like burr, 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 every time I tried to, Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid. <laughs> so it was also when I was a kid. So that's, <laughs> oh, well, that's good. has not changed. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, it's like, that's, so much better i also think the bullying could be worse as well for younger kids now because of all that stuff but answering your question uh yeah you know like there was a wager there was a bet in the staff room apparently about whether i was gay or not and that's always really annoyed me it annoyed me that someone i would not yeah i wouldn't be able to get over that i don't think it just annoyed me that like adult i was a child adults were at where teachers were adults, their job is kind of pastoral, pastoral, as you say, like they're there to look after the kids and they also know what homophobic bullying is. And there was a kid who had the shit kicked out of him at my school for being gay. I saw it happen. The teachers knew what happened. And there was another guy who, uh, can't remember his name. Uh, Anyway, he took my school to European Tribunal for homophobia, I seem to recall, and won. Um, but he... Oh, amazing. I know, really good, isn't it? <laughs> um, I'm like... Ah. Um, but it's... <laughs> you know, that, that context, you know, to, to not just say to a kid, like, oh, are you all right? You know, like, if, you, if you're clearly getting shit because they know what that looks like... Mm. That stuff, I just think, is a real shame. And actually, I remember I had a tutor who was so overly nice to me, and I wonder if that was her version. Um, but yeah, I just think it's like, yeah, I think it. I, I don't think you can measure how bad that is for kids' mental health. Yeah, yeah, and I think I absolutely subscribe about social media bringing communities closer together. I, I like, I know that. The first, I think it was the first time, like maybe five or six years ago, when I heard someone say, "Oh yeah, I've made a lot of friends through Instagram," um, and I was like, "I think I was still very uh, like, ah, oh, you okay? Like, you know that like you you got to make them in person. You got to and I now myself sort of." have experienced that side where I've said, oh yeah, no, I met them through Instagram and people are like, like an online dating sort of situation. I was like, no, like just admire their stuff or thought they were cool and, and sort of drop them a line. Um, and so I think that is fantastic. And, and it'll be interesting, I guess, from a studies perspective to see the differences of tracking mental health from a young age and whether so that sort of uh, camaraderie or collegiality that social media can provide for someone seeking belonging or sameness or like-mindedness. Could yeah, have. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. Mm. And, you know, not to say Instagram doesn't present it and social media doesn't present its own massive mental health challenges, but <laughs> like all things, they are, you know, multifaceted. Mm. Yeah. You, I, I can't remember which episode. I think it was maybe the Dry July episode where you dry did January. talk a bit about Dry January. Dry <laughs> we July. have Dry July. Is Do you have Dry very, July? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. Yeah. So no one told me that common. when I was in Australia. I was there for the whole of July. I <laughs> know. Oh, I Maybe people, I wasn't. I was going to say, people probably did not do Dry July during COVID. The, I think right. there was a yeah. 60-something percent increase on alcohol sales during lockdowns and quarantines so it was it was huge but you know 
each to their own coping mechanisms. But I guess coping mechanisms was one of the things that you sort of talked about in that episode about dry January and the way in which, and I've definitely, I'm, I think I've been sober for almost 18 months now, but it's, oh, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. It's, uh, I've had a couple of lapses, uh, understandably with a global pandemic and, and I'm, I guess I'm not, I'm not ashamed about that either. I think at first I was, I was like, Oh God, like, and then I think it was Dax Shepard who had his sort of three month sort of lapse. And he spoke really openly about it on his podcast, the armchair expert. And I thought that was just the way which he was like, it's not, you know, you don't hand back the token. You don't go back to the beginning. It is just a lapse in judgment, like or not even a lapse in judgment. It's just like a, a speed process. Yeah. 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 And how, Mm. you know, like a glass of alcohol can sort of, or a glass of wine or a beer or whatever can help lubricate a social situation. It can help relax you at night. It can do or perform multiple functions in that sense. But I guess I, has your relationship with alcohol changed as your mental health has changed or uh, bettered or worsened, I guess, over the years? It's changed in two massive ways. Uh, one that like I need to wake up to avoiding it when I'm, when it's doing things for me that aren't great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) and so, and to understand that it is a process with diminishing returns, you know what I mean? Like drink one night, drink the second night, drink the third night, fourth night, fifth night, whatever, like the fifth, the fifth will be the worst. The first will be the better, the best one type thing. But, you know, I'm really lucky that I've not, I'm really lucky that I've not, I don't have a problem. Well, this is, sounds like the first, the first clue to you having problems, but like, you know, like <laughs> it's something that I don't have a problem with it getting on top of me at all. I never have. I, drinking makes me really tired the next day, and it's not. Even, and and so I just become like grumpy and blah blah blah. And then I'm just like, I don't think I want to do that. So I never had a problem. But I, I the only time I would say I had a problem was when I was much younger, when I wasn't so happy, um, and that. So that's one way it's changed um i say just sort of understanding what it is and what you deploy it for and what you don't and i would actually say that that is part of a process which will continue to grow and develop and you know hopefully because i don't think i could do a period without drinking i I, as in i'm talking like six months i think i would really struggle with social situations so that's something to unpack isn't it because it's you know, that's a that's a that's a reliance or what's the word dependency uh depend yeah well it was interesting i you say that but i was reading a fantastic article i'm not uh if you're a subscriber to eon media it is it's just all of these experts or people with knowledge and experience and um that write articles on varying topics and it's the uh psychiatric or uh, the psychology section is obviously one of my favorites and and i uh that's i mean it's spelt out for me gaslighting um through a great article by dr romani de vasula and she was she came on the podcast and she was fantastic. And wow. I'm obsessed with gaslighting. Ah, uh, it, well, there's a new T anyway, <laughs> there's a new TV show or series coming out, uh, about gaslighting apparently. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it, I think it's one of the hottest words as well at the moment, like where we're it's all sort of really Instagram. coming to terms. Yeah. yeah. It's always like um, babies gaslighting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, totally. Or like, that was a gaslight move. Yeah. Yeah. Just gaslight. Oh my God. You. Like, so gaslighting. Yeah. And you're like, I don't think that was gaslighting. It was just being an arsehole, but yeah. 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 But thank you for your support in calling it out. <laughs> yeah. Or trying to. Um, but this article that I read last night was talking about the differences in dependencies and addictions and also just 
troughs and necessities. Mm-hmm. And it was really wonderful. I'll share it with you if you'd like, but it mm. was fantastic from right. sort of looking at addiction from, cause it was talking about alcohol and drug abuse or misuse. It was talking about addiction in the sort of the, the clinical diagnostic sense and looking at and breaking it down and sort of being like, you know, this, this, this genetic situational and situational was multifaceted. So it could have been, um, a social situation. It could be the fact that you feel shame or that you feel like you're being, uh, judged by being who you are. And I was reading a report the other day on statistics and, and mental health statistics within, LGBTQ plus communities and in young people risk-taking of any form is the largest issue faced when, uh, under the mental health banner, when, um, when sort Mm. of identifying under, uh, within that. And is that, do you mean risk-taking as in sexual health and stuff? Yeah. So it's, um, Mm. dangerous uses of alcohol, uh, sexual risk-taking. There's, uh, sometimes homelessness is considered sort of some kind like risking your health in, in certain situations, there's self-harm and, and attempted suicides and from a mental and social mental well-being, mental health and social well-being, sorry, the, um, education training, uh, work sort of system of social routine is huge. And so dropping out of one of those is also considered, um, to be some of a risk-taking behavior because you're risking overall health and the way in which that then, uh, can have ramifications. But it was really interesting to sort of be like, and sort of hearing your experience and also hearing some of the experiences of your listeners who, uh, submitted some, some stories of their own, um, not just in that dry January episode, but a number of others as well, that that sort of dancing around that line or that sort of like entertaining of those sort of situations was very much uh, present in the younger years or in the earlier stages of, of that identification. Like you were saying, it was like that sort of age 13 sort of a, and chasing that high, like, you know, trying to get to that normal, that normal, normal being, you know, terrible word and still have yet to find a better yeah. version of it. Yeah. But that, um, yeah, normal boy, scene. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, yes. I think like, yeah. You know, one thing I think that I have, I don't think is said enough, um, is that people who've been through shit are often described as having fragile mental health because they display trauma, depression, whatever. But I actually, and therefore they're like, oh God, that makes me weak. And actually I think the thing to say about LGBT people is because we've been through a lot, we're incredibly strong mental health wise, actually. We, you know, because you know, it's like that diamonds are created under pressure type thing, you know, like I'm not suggesting it and I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but to go through that kind of very deep seated unease at a young age means that your capacity to cope with stuff as you grow older is huge. And people don't pat themselves on the back enough for that because I find, and I think that's what's so weird is that you end up you actually almost have to be careful of how tough you've become because you have closed off certain elements of your emotions and things because you kind of had to, to cope from a young age. And, you know, that's something I've tried to understand because like, I am at once incredibly sensitive and also like incredibly tough. And sometimes I don't know which one of those two I am in the situation. I'm like, am I being really tough or am I being really oversensitive? <laughs> Yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can the narrator please tell me? Oh, round the table. Yeah. Dude, am <laughs> yeah. I offending you or am I being nice? Um, yeah. But yeah, that's all part of the experience. And I think we should be reminding and congratulating LGBT people more for that, that like they've gone through a lot. And actually, you know, uh, a lot of people who've been through less, I have noticed, wilt at the first sign of challenge. And I'm like, 
God. And then I'm like, well, I suppose you haven't been through much, you know. And by the way, I'm saying this from a very privileged position where I haven't been through. I've been very lucky to have not been through a lot as well. But, you know, it just, it's worth pointing out that, like, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a continuum. Subjectivity, right? Like like you said, like, you know, you're, you might acknowledge your privileges uh, in comparison to someone else who who's walked a similar sort of identification process or or sort of backlash or prejudice, but at the same time, I'm I think it was in year ten uh, at school when I started studying society and culture as a subject, and and we were sort of uh, introduced to the social theories, and one of them was postmodernism, and having, you know, doing art at the same time, it was something equally the same, but completely different. And I guess that's also postmodernist in its own right. But, uh, they, the one thing that I've held on to is truth is relative to one's experience. And that being, you know, we can sort of, if we would take all of the subjectivity out of things, you would be able to go black and white. Like this person has this problem, this problem, face this challenge, this challenge has this success, this success, put it on a graph and you would be able to map like that and be like, okay, that one's that, that individual has had it worse off and they've come so far. This person has, you know, come from esteemed privilege and has barely faced anything in their life and therefore, et cetera. But I think subjectivity is huge, particularly when it comes to that, um, the shaping, like you were saying before, like we, at such young ages, we, I mean, across the ages, we are questioning so many things and particularly at a younger age, you're questioning like, is this, well, I don't know, is the sky really blue or do we just actually take that for granted? I was just thinking, um, but like, uh, is this hot? Is this cold? Uh, do we say this word in public? Do we not say this word in public? Do we, you know, those sorts of, do we wear this? Do we wear that? Uh, do we brush our teeth morning and night and for two minutes straight, or can we get away with like maybe 30 seconds both times? Mm. Um, and you're sort of working out all of those things. Always brush your teeth. Listeners, just saying that. Yes. Always floss. Yeah. hundred percent. Floss. I am the worst flosser, but I do love the feeling after a, fle- f- a flesh fl- f- fresh floss. I don't floss, I'm afraid. But Sorry. Thankfully, my dentist doesn't hark me on that. But my dentist, my, t- <laughs> my dentist made the mistake of saying my teeth were in amazing condition and my gums were in amazing oh. condition, and I was like, I just got a year off. Like, yeah, that's permission from flossing, to... not. Not yeah. from brushing. <laughs> from brushing. Just mouthwash. Just the hook is mouthwash. <clears throat> yeah, I need to I get a floss after this. Um <laughs> But yes, shaping. Sorry. You were saying Yeah, no, you're right. Um <laughs> I, <laughs> I think it's I think it's really interesting when you said that, you know, LGBTQ plus individuals should be giving themselves a pat on the back for what they have been able to quest- question, discover, sort of solidify and sort of establish. Sorry, my dog's just rubbing his dirty face all up against the, the sofa. Um, uh, being able to identify and, and sort of actually process at young ages and at different ages and at different stages. And I completely see in myself, or actually it was brought to my own attention by my mum, uh, that same sort of hard and fast, uh, or hard and soft sort of a situation. Really? She, yeah. She said that there's a whole bodily notion. She said that she calls it giraffing cause I'm quite tall that you go from sort of having, you know, like normal posture or average posture, but then like the neck elongates and it's this, not superiority thing, she says, and I haven't, I'd have to which experience means, it. She means superiority. Out of body. Yeah, yeah. Which means she's like, yeah, I love you, but stuck <laughs> up. Um, yeah. No, Pull that on, pole sorry. out. Yeah. No, on, yeah. But it's that, it's that same thing of like, it's almost a, um, protective outer layer, almost like that, um, self-preservation. You sort of, uh, the fight, fright, flight, fight sort of response where it's like you suspect danger or you sense danger and the spidey tinglys go off and you, 
instead of your hairs raising against the back of your, on the back of your neck, your whole neck raises. And it's that really? sort of notion wow. of like, it's like, okay, I'm entering a situation which might be austere or have some form of hostility about it. How am I going to arm myself with these, you know, conversational cues just to, or even just give them benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt. Or one of my favorite moments in Will and Grace, I was watching it last night, was um, it was the episode where Grace decorates Jack's apartment that uh, he calls his pomme de terre and <laughs> Karen, <laughs> Karen foots the bill and, um, and she was like, we're going to, oh, this is going to show how much of a nerd I am. It's like, it's my comfort show. I just must put that out there. Uh, Grace is like, we're going to smartly overstuff it or something like that. And, and Jack sort of puts his heads, his head in between his hands and he goes, see God in everyone. And it's like that <laughs> Lord, give me strength moment that it's yeah. like, you're testing me and you are probably uneducated or don't know, but I'm just, those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind sort of yeah. a thing. Like I need to just well, also, take a beat. <laughs> yeah. But it's also heavily linked to what you said about subjectivity that like, you know, I am simultaneously trying to become less and more outraged. You know what I mean? And I'm trying to not be outraged by people not understanding that I'm gay or, you know, all of that stuff because they don't know, you know, and of course there's an argument for like, they need to make it their business to know that, that not everyone is like them, but we live in an imperfect world, you know, uh, so, you know, if people don't mean it, then they didn't mean it. You need to let them understand. And then it's how they react from that point. When you inform someone about something they've done wrong, if there's people being e.g. transphobic and they know it, like that's a whole different thing. But it, it's that subject. I honestly think actually the root of the, not the root, the so much of what the vitriol that, is directed at LGBT people is a sort of lack of understanding um, or, or, or even assumption that someone won't understand who I am or what I want before they've even opened their mouth, you know, just give people a minute, you know, let them, maybe they've never met anyone like you before and maybe that's okay. And maybe you can calmly, bring them into it and to go into it with forgiveness. It's sort of like, you're suddenly like, Oh, I did, religion did have some points, but you know, like <laughs> it's, it's that. It's, God was it, onto something. <laughs> yeah. God was, I, literally, I, I, I prayed to God today. What was it I wanted? I was like, see, you can't pray because you don't believe in him. I was like, Oh, that was <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, we need to just try and be a little more patient you know, be a bit like, like Jack was in that moment. I think that would, I think that would really help all of us actually. And I think that it can, sometimes you can get into, um, outrage. You know what I mean? Outrage at people all the time. And I don't think that's particularly good for one's mental health, actually being outraged all the time. And it, it, it very much is uh, one of the lessons I've learned sort of this past year is the, the, the gauge between, um, oh, I can't even remember the terms. All I can remember is foolish essentially. Oh, there's the discerned, there's the foolish. And then there is the, um, something else like pretty much they're not worth your time. And it's about right. working out whether someone, like you were saying, is someone uneducated around a trans issue and that's why they're coming across as transphobic or having a transphobic impact on uh, an individual or a situation or is it because they're personally per, uh, uh, they are purposefully doing it and sort of working out and finding out that gauge of being like okay let's let's take a beat take a step back see god in everyone and and be like okay what are the interests of this person is it is it a really harshly worded 
question because they've, like you said, never met anyone like myself before and therefore they're trying to understand? Or is it because they've met people like me or not met people like me and they just disdain it? And so they're trying to suppress or push you down, uh, like jam you down? Or is it that they just have no clue generally where they feel, what they feel, where they are? And maybe you're, you're being, you know, like the plural sort of internal knowledge is threatening yeah and also like most people are really lovely you know like most people are great and so go in with that and you'll actually spend your life most of the time pleasantly surprised i'm talking about for myself here like you know because there's for trans people there's so many more issues around safety and all that and blah 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 you know i'm talking about my own experience when I'm saying all of this because um I can't speak for others but I think that is you know that's my new project um just trying to be I don't know like occupy who you are don't think that you need to hide who you are for example traveling in the Australian outback you know like it's like it's uncharted territory for me and particularly for many Australians it's uncharted territory you know was met with so much love and actually then met queer people who were like, you know, then we were doing that whole thing, you know, like bonding over being queer and as a result, and it's, it's amazing. And I do think that like one of the amazing things about being LGBTQ plus is you are part of a club, no matter where you go in the world. Yes. You know, it's heaven. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be terrible, uh, terribly I stereotypical. That. I love that. But it, it's so true, though. Like, I think that's one of the things that the LGBT community has really got down pat is that unconditional acceptance. And, I, and like you say, I think that comes from adversity. Um, but that ability to go wherever you, to be wherever you are and to be able to feel that that belonging or that, sameness or that union is something that I don't think there is any or very few other groups or identifying identifiable communities or, or, uh, whatever is better. Well, I think there's a lot of them to be honest, you know, like the Jewish community or, you know, the black community. I think there's, there's so much of that that is amazing. Um, it's you know adam eli wrote this book about how the new queer conscience he calls it where he kind of uses judaism as like the template for queerness and it's fascinating for how you know he was like the the jews come out for each other all the time to support each other but the the queers don't so much because we're kind of this is his kind of part of his thesis it's like we're sort of taught to segregate from ourselves you know we're taught to not band together and actually we are we're a united wonderful group and and that's what i love about doing the podcast it's like you know we i make it my business to try and be as honest as i can about myself once a week and then people write in and they're as honest as they are and you know isn't they're really honest and it's amazing it's connection it's connection you know and that and that actually is the other thing about mental health that is amazing is like is to connect connect and be vulnerable and say what's really going on for you and i've said things on the podcast i can't remember any um he says but you know have made me feel a bit sick when i've said them because i'm like oh god this is embarrassing but it's always because you haven't expressed it before or exactly yeah yeah um because i haven't expressed it before and i'm like oh you know maybe but it's always fine and actually, if you share what's going on for you, no matter how weird, um, it's pretty much always there's someone else who's like, yeah, I've had that, you know. And it's amazing. My therapist actually yesterday, um, I saw her and she was like, not that I needed her to say it, but she was like, you're not special. None of us are special we're all ordinary. And I was like, and and then she was like, that came out. She goes, that came out much harsher than it 
actually is. And I was like, no, 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 I get it. I get it. Like we are, we all have this puffed up version of not just who we necessarily think we are, not even in an egotistical sense, but who, what other people think about us and, and, you know, and they're mere projections of our own sort of ids being just pretty much displayed on other people and, and writing our own story. It's like that, that craze that's going around with the filters on uh, TikTok and Instagram and, and other platforms about, would you be the main character in your story? Like, and it's, I find it really weird because it is, it totally is like, there's the, you know, the best friend, there's the best friend's partner. There's the, like, there's the whole, um, structure that is either adopted or uh, subverted, but it is that concept of like, yeah, actually, am I the main character in my story? Or if I was the main character, if I wasn't like, you know, and I think we're, we're often sort of looking at that in a weird twisted way. Yeah, I think that's quite specific to LGBT people, though, because, like, e.g. Jack from Will and Grace, like, you know, he's the funny gay best friend, you know, and it's like you don't express yourself truly because you're too worried to, so you attach yourself to people and you actually end up not being the main character in your story and that is not good. And you need to, I think, you need to do what's good for you. You know, uh, and there's this woman called Nedra Tawab who, um, let me say that again because I've rustled my mic. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a woman called Nedra Tawab who is on Instagram. She's a therapist and she, I don't know how I found her, but I found her when she didn't have many followers and now she's got like 400,000. So I feel like. Humble brag. Bit, yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, when you're like, I feel like just. No, it's not a humble brag. It's like, I just feel like I found gold before everyone else. You know, it's like, yeah, that was comment, me with I'm Adele. Like, that same. Um, yeah. I tried to get my friends and they were like, no, this, this woman needs to see a therapist. And I was like, and then I was like, just wait for it. <laughs> yeah. She'll be huge. I know. <laughs> yeah. And so Nedra and Adele are very similar in that respect. And yeah, she talks a lot about, boundaries and you know and i think that lgbt people allow their own boundaries to be crossed a lot because they become quite people pleasing because they don't feel great about themselves and i have learned so much from nedra about putting yourself first and looking after yourself uh in a mental health respect she's a therapist you know and i think it's amazing and um yeah i just adore her i pretty much like all of her posts and be like i need to like I need to not like every post, but I adore her. I think she's Has amazing. she reached out to you and said, look, Chris, she back came off on the a podcast. Little. She came on the podcast. It was I mean, like, I'll link it. Please do. She, I'm pretty sure the title of the episode was, it was about love actually. I mean, I want to have her on again. I think she could tell I was a super fan. Well, as in I told her, um, but yeah, it's, it's very great, great bite-sized chunks of information that blow your mind sometimes about how we behave, how and why we do. And I think what you were just saying about how we project people's ideas of us and what they're thinking onto other people, all that stuff is fascinating because no one is special. And actually, um, you know, uh, it's good to think of yourself as special and narcissism is good to have a bit of that, right? You know, like you need a bit, but you know, you've got to, you keep need to back check. yourself a bit. Yeah, totally. No one else is going to, yeah. um, you know, it's like, <laughs> um, it's all, I think all that learning about all that stuff is, is fascinating, um, to understand, you know, showing, learning about what's going on under the hood of your car, means you know when there's a squeak what that is and mental health is the same learn more about what's going on try not to become obsessed try not to only have conversations about people being narcissists or gaslighters because that's a temptation i am guilty of but learn about it and learn functions in yourself learn signs and then 
you will be hopefully things will be better you know and it's it takes a lot of time and the other thing is exercise but you know that's its own beast that almost Mm. deserves its own uh marathon for lack of a better term pardon the pun but like (laughs) yeah yeah that i know how i think we all know how brilliant exercise is and that you know the human body is designed to be moving not Mm. even though i often joke that my body was designed for an office job but (laughs) i think that it often is something that we pass over and we don't actually think great good nutrition good nutrition a brilliant night's sleep and exercise are three of the core thing oh and light exposure are three of the core things to good mental health yeah you know like I do exercise four times a week at the moment when I was filming. More than me. Yeah. But when I was filming, like, I couldn't really do it. I mean, I didn't Mm. really do it. I actually could because other people (laughs) on the crew were doing it. And I was like, how are you finding time? But it's (laughs) so much better. It's so good for my mental health. Like, it makes me feel like I'm standing on solid concrete, not wet concrete. And, And yet every day, like, today I did it. And I said to my mom, I was like, I said to my mum, I was like, God, I really don't feel like doing exercise today. And as it came out of my mouth, I was like, how many times has that sentence left my mouth? I never want to do it. It never gets better. But I do love the consequences. But I, yeah. The consequences. Can we also (laughs) just expose (laughs) the consequences? Uh, Can we also just expose the fact that it doesn't get better? Well, I mean, no. in my experience, it doesn't. Exercise? I, no, because as soon as yeah. you do one thing, they make it harder. You're like, yeah, Arr. they push you that bit harder, and you're like, well, hang on, can we just can we just throw a party for the the amount that I've just made? Yeah. Like these few inches. I can do five press ups. Can't we just stay doing five? And they're like, well, now you yeah. do six, and you're like, Ugh. it's yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, I actually think for me specifically, uh. I, this is quite intense and is a self-diagnosis, but let's go <laughs> with it. If you aren't feeling very comfortable in yourself as from a young, young age, exercise is one of the things where you're quite alone with your thoughts. So I used to avoid it because I didn't like being like, I didn't like just being still because it's like, I don't like myself. I don't like what I am. I don't like what I am. Blah, blah, blah. So I would, you know, I would always be doing something or using things to distract myself. And exercise was a bit like being locked in my own head. So a, a plus going to a gym, if you're not mad on hypermasculine spaces, is the whole thing. But so yeah, I, it's like a delivery room. Yeah. But yeah, it's just intense. And. <laughs> <laughs> Also, gyms now are so intense because everyone's like taking photos of themselves. It's just like, what is this? So swole. <laughs> it's just me like, and the boys. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, oh god. Anyway, it's a lot, and there's a, there's a lot of reasons why I didn't do it, and so it, and it, and it's a shame because actually you're moving away from something that is fantastic for your mental health. And the, probably the reason you're moving away from it is because you haven't got a great mental health. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that you just, you know, I really just w- wish there were more, um, um, a wider diversity of things in and around sport for queer kids, for example. That's so true. And I think I totally subscribe and resonate with some of those things around the intimidation factor that exercise often has for someone who. I don't even think just queer kids or queer individuals, but people who are uh, sort of don't associate with that sort of binary male, female either, that they, uh, uh, you know, they might identify as male and, and have pronouns as he, him, but they don't see themselves as, you know, protein shakes and, you know, texting your bra and uh, spitting on the ground to be giving a really broad stereotypical, alpha male sort of jock but uh but yeah but also you abs- know in subjectivity again and progress 
Like, yeah, so many conversations about this on the on the podcast. Like, I think it was Ryan O'Connell came on and said straight people are in hell because those <laughs> those people who are doing that heavy masculine presenting. You know, the point that someone was making on the podcast, which I thought was fascinating, was like, they don't identify, they identify with it as little as you do. It's just they're able to do it. It's more instinctive for them. And then so they carry on doing it. So then they, they're sort of locked in this thing where that, they think that's how they have to behave. And I think that's really interesting that we mustn't alienate them, you know, and, 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 and other them because we'll get nowhere that way. And sometimes in some respects, I feel quite lucky that like, I just didn't fit into any of that world. Therefore I had to leave. And therefore, you know, you kind of end up being a little bit more aware. I don't know. um, You're not locked into a trap and you actually get to know yourself a bit better and you get to express yourself. And that is, to express yourself is to be happy, I think. Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because I think that there is that huge part about, you know, we may, and it comes back again to relativity, subjectivity, uh, and um, projecting that, you know, we see them or classically we see them in society as the alpha males or the, the people who are at their healthiest and that's what we should be striving for. But they themselves could individually, not as a collective, but individually be struggling to find themselves. And this is that sort of same distraction, like you were saying. And that's where Instagram are terrible. You know, at, they serve you so many men with hot bodies. Well, they serve me so many men with hot bodies. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yes, I click on them when they pop up. But it's like, you do not need to, like, fill my feed with it. The explore page, not my feed. And I, I always click on it. That's just like not so true. And d- take it away, yeah. take it away. And then it creeps back in. Because, yes, maybe then I do click on some of them else. But it's like that whole Or maybe vortex. you have a friend who is very gifted in aesthetics and you no, like their all photo. My, and... All my friends are bone idols, but you know, it's like, it's just, uh, yeah, that is where it's really bad. Cause it creates a vortex. That's the only time mm. I thought that Instagram is not good for me. It's like a vortex of like, why don't I have this 28 year old mm. body, 24 year old body. And then mm. I'm like, I don't I'm even have that. Body. No, like, I know. Well, the, yeah. Good on you. Well, I, I think that it's interesting that you brought up the vortex element because I think that, and sort of linking back to something that we discussed earlier about social media being fantastic, that is one of the dangers of social media is it becoming this echo chamber of only your point of view or only um, your perception or your your belief system or uh, your identifications, whatever that may be, brunette, gay, uh, disabled, whatever, like whatever that may be in your own sort of right. And I think that there was a, something said it was, it was about politics a couple of years back, which really opened my eyes that we should be seeking our, not just our social groups, physical social groups, but also our social media groups and, and sort of feeds to be curated to, uh, represent the, the world that there is so that we aren't, uh, uh, convoluting what reality actually is or what actually is out there beyond our own experience. And I think that's particularly when it, you know, we are battling against an algorithm, whether it be for different opinions or more mediocre bodied uh, aesthetic looking people than what is currently showing up it is something that we should be striving for. And, and, and that should be that, you know, if you do identify as cishet or, um, or anything, you know, outside of that queer experience, then maybe that's a account or something that you should sort of open your social channels to. Yeah. uh, Or listen to homo sapiens. Listen, listen to rate and subscribe, share with your friends. 
It's for everybody. Leave a know. comment. <laughs> yeah. Comment. Yeah, no, do leave a comment. Um, tell me, I realize I've, I've got to go in a second, if that's right. I know. You, I just saw on. that as well. Yeah. Um, no, that's all good. But uh, this has been wonderful. It has been so nice. Thank you so much. It's, um, I think we've covered so many of my favorite things. Will and Grace being good. the top. Uh, and, good. Uh, oh, yes, good. Yeah. I'm so glad that I was able to, to have this chat with you and, and to dive into not just the broad experience, but the individual thought processes and your own experience and, and the way in which you're informed by oh, by all of who you are so thank you no, so much it's been fascinating to talk to you and well done on doing this it's amazing